Here we go. Episode 60. This week's Court Time of Meals and Tennis segment brought to you by the Ragged Man, the industry leader in racket stringing, racket repair, and customization. Go to www.theragaman.net for more info. How do I shut this off? It's been a while. We're still learning. You know how to shut this thing? Shut this off. You're always technically challenged right away. There we go. Thanks, David. You've seen him before. He's on with us again. David's a code. He's always doing the annual segment with us. Welcome back. Thank you, David. Really pleased to be back on. And, you know, we've got a lot to talk about. So I think it's been a very exciting 2018 in, in tennis and in some other things that we follow. So there's a lot to, to look forward to in the, in the coming months. What, uh, what's this thing? Get that it's okay. We're, we're, we're good. We're, we're good. Yes. Oh, we got. <laughs> we got. We are. We are uh, not in our usual studio. We're actually on site tonight. We have David's father who's joining us, as long as um, along with a, quite a few others. Thank you guys. We're expecting a big crowd tonight. So tell all your friends. This this may be longer than the usual 10-15 minute segment. It's the year end segment. This is what we do. Um, episode sixty. We took some time off. After US Open, we did one after Labor Cup. Took a couple months off from these types of segments. Obviously, you've been seeing a lot of the audio podcast interviews we've been doing, but um, we're back. It's one of our favorite segments of the year. Um, also, we are recording this as a podcast. We're doing it a little bit differently, so we don't know how the sound's going to be. If I review it later tonight or most likely tomorrow, if it sounds good, I'll upload it as a podcast. So, um, if you guys chime in or I mention your name, I just wanted to disclose it. If it sounds well, I will upload this into a podcast. So, we done? We ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's get into it. All right. A lot of new faces this year. Mm-hmm. CC Pass, Demonar, and then you had your regular, you know, still young guys. Dominic Team, Sasha Zverev. Zverev had a fantastic year. Struggled in the slams a little bit. We'll get to that. But at the end of the day, man, you look at the grand slams and it's the familiar names. Roger. Rafa, Novak, and Novak. Start man, Roger. Yeah. Give, me, give, me the, give me the primer on Roger for this year. I think, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's the same faces, the same big three winning the slams. And with, with regard to Roger, I think everyone, it's impossible to, to argue with the fact that he started off the season super hot. He, he won the Australian Open. Um, can't really say he was tested that much with the exception of that final against Chilich, but he accomplished his ultimate goal, which is to get back to number one in the world. And he talked about how he never thought that it was a possibility, uh, especially with some of the injuries that he had that about two years ago. But he really accomplished those goals. But I think it's despite the fact that he's publicly said how happy he's been with this season and how at age 37 he's so elated to still be in the top three, and in the in the conversation for uh, for slams and for the number one ranking, I think from from a diehard Federer fans perspective at this point in time, it's it's very difficult to be super optimistic about what the future has to offer. Um, I'm personally sort of in a phase right now where I'm just trying to enjoy um, and and just watch as many of his matches as possible. At this point, I got to see him live a couple times this year in in Indian Wells and. In Cincinnati, um, neither of which were two of his better tournaments this year, but 
he's got a point in the sense that he's made a ton of finals. Um, we obviously saw him slip up uh, toward the end of the year at the World Tour Finals where he lost his Zverev in the semis. But I think one of the better matches we had all fall was that three-setter that he played against Djokovic in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though I think he was more or less um, physically outclassed, he definitely competed and stayed in, in that match. So I think... The biggest issue with Federer is his movement just seems a little bit off. If, if there's anything that I could sort of pinpoint from a technical standpoint, he and it's there's he says that he's healthy and and there's no reason to question that. But at age 37, you got to think that as much time as he puts into this off the court, um, it's it's going to catch up to him at some point. And you just saw that he wants to be aggressive and come to net and step into that forehand, step into that backhand. And he really has struggled to do that in some of these recent indoor tournaments because the movement hasn't been there and he hasn't defended well. It's been pretty much the serve has been what's propelled him to sort of the latter rounds of some of these tournaments, I'd say, past the U.S. Open. So I think for, for the first time in maybe a couple of years, we, it's kind of a question mark as to what kind of 2019 we're going to get. I personally think that this is going to be his last season. I, I wouldn't say that's a hot take of sorts because you know he's going to be 38 after Wimbledon. But I think the stars are lining up for a potential. Um, if you guys want to comment on, on it with your thoughts, that'd be awesome. But I think things are lining up for a potential retirement at the end of 2019, either after the Labor Cup, which is going to be in his home hometown. country of... Not hometown, but home country hometown. of Switzerland in Geneva. And then there's obviously the Basel tournament, which is his hometown. So, again, we don't know what's going to happen with the ranking. I don't know if he's going to want to stick around if he's not ranked in the top five, let's just say, because right. right now he's three and he's got a ton of points to defend with the Australian right. Open at the start of the year. And we know that's not going to be easy. So I think the, for Roger, there's, there's you know, some pessimism, but there's also sort of the yearning that we might get, you know, one last hurrah from him potentially at Wimbledon. So um, he obviously underperformed there this year and at the U.S. Open. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Roger in 2019. But I think the bottom line, no matter if you're positive or negative, you just have to appreciate it and just well, recognize I, everything know. he's given to our game. Absolutely. Um, you know, greatest, arguably the greatest of all time. It's between him and basically one other guy. Um, before I get to Rafa couple shout outs because we got guys rolling in this right. is, this is great jason myers thank you for showing up jason hey man i'll be seeing you in delray i'm gonna need some uber driver driving lifts back you know to and from so look forward to hopefully seeing you in february alex the with a nice studio comment alex this studio was great if uh we may need to negotiate something permanent here because this is uh the lighting and everything's better from where my uh my usual studio so we'll, we can uh, have some further conversations Jeff Dawson, thank you for, um, you know, everything and all your help in the past, you know, 18 months. Sam Kirchival, what's going on, man? Thank you for all your help in the past 18 months. Go check out, if you haven't heard, um, Alex Lawson's podcast. Alex is very funny. Um, Ex-Notre Dame grad. Check it out. Got a text from our guy, Jeff Jordan. He's having a little difficulty trying to sign in, but he's going to try to do this um, either later tonight or next time. So, Everybody, Corey Weary, all your support. I want to make sure I'm getting all these names. Miguel Perez. Uh, Miguel, you know, uh, the both of us, we, we can talk about you for, for hours. So thank you for joining in as well. All right, so we hit on Roger. Now we have Rafa. Now Rafa, we know, cleaned up in the clay, right? Mm-hmm. French Open was not even a, 
He does what he does on clay. He is absolutely ridiculous. Now, I want to talk about Rafa on hard courts, okay? I got all his results mm-hmm. on hard courts right here. We're going to go through it. All right, so listen closely. Take notes if you want. This is incredible. He starts with Brisbane, with Drew. Australian Open. He retired in the quarters, down 0-2 in the fifth set to Chilich. Acapulco, with Drew. Indian Wells, with Drew. Miami. With Drew. <laughs> Toronto. <laughs> Toronto, he actually played and won the title. He beat Titi Pass in the final. Cincinnati, with Drew. U.S. Open, he retired in the semis versus Delpo. You know, he had played some really tough physical matches leading up to that, including Achenoff and Dominique Team. that unbelievable match. We'll get into a little bit later. Beijing with Drew, Shanghai with Drew, Paris with Drew, London with Drew. It's interesting. We, sometimes people give Roger a hard time for not playing the clay. Well, Rafa didn't exactly play the hardcore season much, um, you know, this year either. Yeah. So, obviously, whether it's injuries or recuperation or a mix of, of both, um, <laughs> Felix and Cutie's podcast, episodes 2018, Miguel Perez. Thank you, Miguel. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, it's just that was pretty stunning that he's obviously withdrew from tournaments in the past on hardcore, mm-hmm. but not nearly this amount. Um, that said, again, he, he cleaned up in the clay court season. We'll, we'll go with the guy who won the last two slams of the year. And if you take the first half of the year, my God, I mean, you saw what he was like in Indian Wells. This guy was not, uh, not even top person. 50. I mean, he couldn't find the court, couldn't hit a rally ball consistently. Um, but Novak Djokovic, I, I had no idea he would win Wimbledon. I still didn't think he was all the way back to where he needed to be at Wimbledon. I thought Rafa was going to win that semifinal match. Um, wins Wimbledon, and then you know, U.S. Open, it started to look like you know, that latter Order part of that summer. Restored. Latter part of that summer and into the Open, it started to look like the Novak, Novak of old. Got uh, anything to add on Novak? Yeah, I mean, he's... I think if uh, if we're talking, you mentioned that the greatest of all time conversation has kind of been mostly Federer and Nadal oriented over the last, let's say, five, ten years. But if you start doing the math, it's it's going to come down pretty close to where Novak is going to be the third person end of that conversation. I think it's obviously clear with what we've seen on the court, but he's going to start racking up those additional weeks at number one. He's going to probably pass Connors, Lendl, and in all likelihood Sampras by almost the end of this year. Um, in addition to that, uh, I mentioned this last year, perhaps erroneously, but we know that the, out of all the majors, the success, the most success Novak has had has been at the Australian Open. Yep. That's where he seems to play his best tennis. And last year, obviously, he was not in match shape, um, perhaps not even feeling well enough physically to play that tournament, and he lost in the round of 16, but I think he's going to be a man on a mission. He played a lot of tennis uh, this past fall, but I think he'll be well-rested and in a great position to add to that um, to the number of Grand Slam titles, which would put him at 15 if he wins the Australian Open. Now, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of preview stuff going into that event, so it's maybe a bit premature to be making those types of predictions, but the way he just locked in and was, you know, when we talk about him being a machine out there and not missing, I mean, that's exactly what he was yeah. in the U.S. Open final. Del Potro tried great to... Match. Great match. Great and, match. And Del Potro didn't play poorly. No. Nope. He played aggressive. He tried to hit him off the court. He served big. He did exactly what anybody of his caliber and size should be doing against Very Novak. High level and if I'm not mistaken, it was three sets. Correct. Three, was this, three I think four. But Novak. But Novak. It was pretty strong. convincing throughout that match, yeah. and so 
I believe that Novak will continue the success that he's had uh, toward the end of, of, of last season. It's I think a lot is going to depend on what kind of condition Rafa is in. Because Novak has, for the most part, had Rodgers' number in most of their recent matchups, even though they've all been close. I think Rafa's the wild card because Rafa can beat him on the clays and Rafa's shown that he can beat him on hard courts when they're both at the top of their game. So it's a combination of health, uh, what kind of physical and match shape they're going to be in in January. I'd be really interested if they could be a potential Australian Open semifinal or yeah. final matchup. I think it'll be great. Yep, I, I hope hope so. Um, more shout-outs. This is great. We're getting a good crowd. Gina Campanile, keep doing your thing with the music. I think sometimes your, your dad logs in through you, so if it's Mark... Um, you know, again, thanks for joining and watching. Hopefully both of you are watching. You guys are, are great, great, unbelievable family. Cousin Lori's chiming in. Thanks, Cousin Lori, for, for joining as well. Um, this is great. We're getting a good crowd. Okay, I want to do a, a, a comparison, and I, we've never really talked about the Paris Masters as much as we have these past, we were about to these past two years, but there was some major, major contradictions that I thought it would be fun to kind of talk about. It's a great case study. It's a great case study. And, and we'll label this the 2017 Paris Masters champion as we, we be consistent with what we say. Fool's gold versus the 2018 Paris Masters champion, everything earned. And I want to clear something, too, because a lot of people have questioned my thoughts on Jack Sock. I am a Jack Sock fan. I, I want him to do very well. Okay, There are things that I believe he needs to be working on and be better at. That said, I'm a Jack Sock fan, and we all know what he does in the doubles world. There's no one that is as good as him in the doubles field right now. He's unbelievable with what he does. But yeah, on the singles field, obviously there's work to be done. And there were some interesting stats when you compared the 2017 run of Jack Sock versus the 2018 run of Corinne Hatchinoff. I'm going to butcher that name. No, you did great. You did great. Um, so let me just tell you the players um, that Sock had to run through in his 2017 run. It was Kyle Edmund, and he was down 1-5 in the third set. It was a miracle he got through that, credit to Sock. Then he beat Lucas Puy. Then he beat Fernando Verdasco in the quarters. Okay, those are three good players. Not unbelievable, but good, solid players. Then he played Julian Beneteau in the semis. I think he's retired now. Mm-hmm. And Philip Krajinovich, who's currently ranked just inside the top 100. He beat him in the final. Also lost a lot of points after yes. Paris. Will Comar, thank you for chiming in. Um, feel free to comment on whatever we talk about. We may even open the phone lines um, later on in this segment. So that Sox run, and I know it's not, not his fault who he played and who was in his way. Also, by the way, five of the top eight players were not even in that field. Right. Okay. 2018 run of... Corinne Hatchinoff. You ready for this? He beat Krajinovich in the first round. His sock beat in the final. He beat in the first round. He then beat Matthew Abden. Then take notes, ladies and gentlemen. He beat John Isner in the third round. He's currently, he was 10th, okay, in the world. He beat Sasha Zverev in the quarters, fourth rank. He beat Dominique Team, eighth rank. And he beat number one, Novak Djokovic. That, my friends, is earning a title. Now, let me kind of talk about the rankings, okay? Because this is a, a, a Paris Masters. It's a Masters 1000 event after the U.S. Open, which there absolutely should be no Masters 1000 events after the Open. We'll get to that in a minute. Kashinov's ranking went from 18 to 11. Mm-hmm. That's respectable with that type of win in a Masters 1000, mm-hmm. okay? Especially who we beat. Sock, who didn't come close to beating any of those guys, his ranking went from 25 to 8. And that's just absolutely 
ridiculous, should not happen, especially in a tournament where five of the top eight people aren't even competing. Um, it, it was just interesting comparing those two runs. Um, I, I will say, I, I understand that you can't have no tennis from after the U.S. Open slash after Labor Cup till the Australian Open. I get that. I do feel strongly season's too long. I've had proposals of, hey, just freeze the rankings at whatever, top 15, top 20, and let the other guys play, whatever. No one can leapfrog into that category. Um, But get rid of these Masters 1000 events because it's not a Masters 1000 field. The Paris one, give credit. I mean, there were a lot of good players in that field. This year it was. This year it was. I just think people have checked out at that point. Um, The guys are still, I mean, the top, top five, six guys, they're pretty much locked in. Um, They have the ATP finals. They don't need to play these tournaments. And again, it's just so long. If you want to have a 250 event, you could line those up like dominoes. I don't care for the rest (laughs) after Labor Cup. Maybe a 500, but the Masters 1000, it's just out of place. here's Here's what I'll say. I've got three points. Number one. I was very impressed that we got to minute 13 or 14 of the show before you mentioned Jack Sock's name. So I think that's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of progress, and it says a lot about his lack of singles uh, results this year. But full credit on the doubles, it's, he's probably upset that Mike Bryan's going to reunite with right. Bob at this point. That would have been, been interesting to see if they could have won the calendar slam. Now, to the second point, what you mentioned about having no tournaments, uh, no Masters 1000 tournaments after the U.S. Open. And... The only issue that I have with that, because I I think freezing the rankings is not a bad idea and letting the other guys, but we just hashed out how great Hachinov's run was in Paris. And yes, 18 to 11 is not the same as 25 to 8, whatever it might have been. But the thing is, if, if we were to change the rules and get rid of Masters 1000s, we might have a situation where the last that we see of Hachinov in 2018 is a fourth round or third round loss to Rafa at the U.S. Open right. in four sets where he played probably the best tennis all year, and he doesn't get to build off of that momentum. And now we're at the point where Hatchinov went from being a fringe top 20, top 25, top 30 player around the U.S. Open summertime to where, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if some people had him as a dark horse pick to go far in the right. Australian Open just because of how much we've seen of him recently. And I get that the matches aren't on ESPN with the exception of the final couple matches of the World Tour Finals, but it's just something to think about with regard to, you know, maybe Frieza at the top 10, um, but there's, there's a lot of room for improvement, and I just think we should hesitate to, to do anything too drastic. And that brings me to my third point, which is, the calendar is, you mentioned that it's too long, and I think that's an objective statement. The, the players are saying it, the tournaments don't want to admit it because they don't want to lose out on right. money. But the calendar is being so diluted with all these tournaments, plus they're adding these team, team competitions, competitions, which is great. Labor Cup has been a success. If people play the new Davis Cup while they're protests and it's different, there's money in it. I'm sure it'll succeed to a certain extent. And then the ATP has got this new ATP Cup thing that they're going to have in Australia in January now, I think before the Australian Open. And there's also Hopham Cup, which has been around forever. So I just think there's so many events that are diluting the schedule. And yes, if you're a hardcore tennis fan and you're you know, watching Tennis Channel or subscribing for Tennis Channel Plus... We're, tennis Channel is not sponsoring this segment, but uh, if you're if you're doing that, it's great. You get a lot of tennis. 
But for the players, if we want to see the best quote-unquote product on the court, then maybe there's a way to sort of um, mitigate some of these risks with regard to their their safety and their health. And right. right now, it just seems that it's cash grabs left and right. And some players, like Sock two years ago, Hatchinov this year, are benefiting from it. But um, ultimately, there's going to have to be a consensus between players and the governing bodies if, if we really want change uh, for the long run in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about it a lot with the fall season, and, and we'll see what happens. I mean, players, they, they call their own shots, especially the ones at the top of the game. They just check right. out if they want. But All right, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Let's go. So Let's go. Keep going. I'm going to ask you for your match of the year a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about my match of the year now. You guys feel free to chime in in the comments, your match of the year, or if we do decide to open up the phone lines in a little bit, Feel free to call me. Don't call David. Call me. I'm not giving out phone numbers. A lot of you guys watch and have my phone numbers, so feel free to call in. We'll try to speaker it up to the, to the uh, TV. But my match of the year right now involves the guy who we've currently really been spending some time on, and that's Karin Hatchinoff. And that was his fourth, uh, third round match. Third round match. Third yeah. round match, the Friday of Labor Day weekend against Rafa. That match was unbelievable, and I'll, I'll say that for a couple of reasons. Hatchinoff is a beast, man. He is a, and you've heard other people say it too, he is a Marat Safin as far as I'm concerned. He's big and he's strong and his legs are so, so strong. Rafa beats you physically in the legs. And that was a four-set battle. And he had opportunities to win every single set that he lost. And what was really impressive to me is after a just brutally physical three tough sets, mm-hmm. 99% of Rafa's opponents, that four set, you get steamrolled. 6-2. At, on yeah, a good day. Yeah. <laughs> Hatchinoff hung in there until the last point of the match. I mean, it was unbelievable, that battle. That, to me, was the match of the year. Now, I'm going to throw another one out there, and it was like two rounds later. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, I guess I could have co-matches of the year, if you let me. Dominic Team versus Rafael Nadal. Mm-hmm. I mean, 7-6 in the fifth, went to, what, 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. I think team missed an overhead on match point. But the U.S. Open was awesome. This it year. was. It was. And I think, I remember last year, you said the year before was not nearly yeah. a, a, as good as um, what it was this year. So those are my two matches of the, uh, match of the year. Maybe they're the most recent in my head, obviously, on um, Labor Cup. But I'm saying as far as stakes, you know, biggest right. stakes, those were two of mine. Um Okay, before I kind of give you a little Q&A, let's, let's go over the Masters 1000 results. There's nine of these tournaments. They were split up pretty well. I, I mean, the big three did not dominate. Rafa did win three. Clay is right. Novak won two. Roger didn't win any. Mm-hmm. Del Potro won one, Indian Wells. Isner won in Miami. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Zverev, Zverev had an unbelievable year, say the slams right he won madrid he got to two other finals and he also won the atp finals i mean right. he had an unbelievable year um and then hatching off one paris of the new guys who are you thinking is going to lead the masters 1000 in 2019 um i think are we allowed to talk about zverev is yeah, there something yeah, yeah, yeah. zverev is a lock to keep winning these um i think recently we've seen that there's been a firm uh, grasp on the Masters 1000s by the Big Four. Yeah. You know, we 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 have who's that fourth? We yeah, we have in a while. We haven't talked a lot about Murray. <laughs> he seems uh, right now he's posting a lot of videos of him training in Miami and uh, circling around hula hoops with his mom. But uh, yeah, Murray, we can't 
completely ignore him. He's won a few slams and, and over 10 uh, Masters 1000s, but the jury is still out on whether or not he's going to get back into form after the surgery. But um, I think Zverev is a lock to, to win a Masters or two. Um, he had a pretty bad 2018 uh, relative to expectations, but I think Grigor Dimitrov might get back in the winner's circle. If Andre Agassi, I think we're going to talk about that a little later, if that relationship has some um, some you know synergies associated with it, I think that could be positive for Dimitrov. Um, hesitate a little bit with Tsitsipas. I think expectations are going to be very high for him. And while he had a, an amazing season, and I'm sure he's only going to be, be getting better, um, it's still a question mark as to how a guy so young will handle those types of expectations. We've seen Zverev so far has been the only guy uh, who started out sort of making his run as a teenager, who really made it up in the rankings quickly. And uh, Tsitsipas is still a bit of a question mark um, in my mind. But he, if, if we look at, at precedent, so... Um, we didn't talk about this, but Tsitsipas won the next-gen finals yeah. in Milan. And last year, Chung won that tournament. And Chung used the momentum from winning that tournament Australia. to have a great Australia and a great sort of start to the season before he got injured and then kind of sputtered out. I think the same could apply to Tsitsipas if he's in good shape and if he's been putting in the work um, off the court, which according to his Instagram feed he has. I think uh, Tsitsipas could... A sort of uh, live up to those expectations. Um, we saw a mention of Shapovalov not feeling too high on uh, Shapovalov for some reason. Um, I think he's not putting it together mentally. His expectations got way too high for him. I don't see him winning Masters 1000s or going too far in slams this year. Um, and I think you know, with regards to the young names, I think we should focus on the guys who are already are in the top 10, yeah. but have kind of been overshadowed by the Federers, the Nadals, and the Djokovic's of the world. Um, could see Team winning one of those clay yep. Masters 1000s. Um, I mean, I don't know, Isner, Miami wasn't, I want, I wish, you know, some people said uh, Miami was a fluke for Isner, but he had the best season of his Great career. Year. Him and Kevin. Uh, Kevin Anderson and, yeah. as well. So Both those guys had tremendous. So years. it's hard to really rule anything out. If if we look at the rankings, I mean, Nishikori had a couple decent runs in Masters uh, 1000 events and in Grand Slam. So it'll be very interesting to see. But I think ultimately it's going to depend on sort of the consistency of the big three and whether or not they a play these events because history shows i mean Djokovic played most of them this year but Rafa and Roger didn't and um you know there's there's going to be a lot of turnover in, in tennis in the coming years at some point it's just a matter of if it's going to happen in 2019 or 2020 right. or 2021 etc et right all right let's kind of go through man, we we got so many things we got we got the pen is smoking over here yeah. <laughs> pen 1 is done on to pen number 2 we talked about Novak. I think we talked about him pretty pretty much early on. Mm-hmm. Expect a big year from him. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll do like a little mini Q and A or a little short mm-hmm. top. You know, I'll ask you a couple things and you'll kind of speak yeah, a little speed round. Um, we'll do it with true or false. This was interesting to me. None of the Masters one thousand events featured both Rafa and Fed. True or false? Um, I'm gonna have to say true. That is the correct answer. Wow. I mean, think about that. I, wow. I, would do, I didn't do the history. I should have, and I'm, I'm blaming myself for not. I'm interested in seeing a year, the previous year, if any, when they were both you know, on tour at this high level. 
that happened. None of the Masters 1000 events featured both Rafa and Fett. That's crazy to me. Um, okay, be careful with this next one. Okay. Where will Jack Sock be ranked in singles at the end of 2019? Now, I will, I will say... Can you tell you know, us really quickly where he's ranked right now? Justin 104? 104? 104? He's making the direct <laughs> entry. Uh, I think he's just at that level of the direct entry to the Australian. And he has won this wild card challenge, which I, I'm a little upset about. If he doesn't get direct entry, he's won this kind of wild card challenge, which I think should go to a challenger type player. But I think Sock will eventually get in direct just with injuries and withdrawals or whatever. Really but, deserves it. Um, obviously, <laughs> we know about his double success. But he he will have next to no points to defend basically. So <laughs> top of Midwest, six sixteens. <laughs> um, he will have very little points to defend. So where where's he gonna end up? You think end of two thousand nineteen? Uh, Jack Sock end of two thousand nineteen will be ranked number twenty seven in the world. Write that down. That's that sounds pretty pretty good. Okay, <laughs> if not the big three. <laughs> Thought you were starting at 8.30. No, no, no. 8 p.m. Check. The year-end segment goes late. Starts early, ends late, man. Um, if not the big three, name someone who else. Name someone else is going to win a slam. Is it Zverev? If not the big three, who's going to win a slam this yeah. year? Um, I am going to go with Stan Wawrinka. Wow. Guy still got it. When he plays his best tennis, he is... It's been a while since he's played his best tennis. Uh, I don't know. He played pretty well in the U.S. Open, Cincinnati this year. His fitness was a little Was Wawrinka Dimitrov the first round? First round, yeah. <laughs> it was over in like 20 minutes. Yeah, uh, I, I'm i going to go with Sam Wawrinka. When he plays his best tennis, he can beat any one of those three okay. on any serve. Probably not grass, but definitely harder to play. I was not expecting you to answer that. Um, I want to talk. We've talked about Zverev. I want to throw something out there, and we've talked about it briefly. I think I'm wrong on this, and I hope I'm wrong for his sake. But, you know, he, he's had a tremendous year, and he's had, obviously, a great few years. But he's struggled in the slams. And you look at him, and he's got the height. I think he's like 6'4". Right? He's strong. Um, but you look at his arms, and to me, his arms look very skinny. Not frail, but just not like big, strong, powerful. And I'm wondering, when it goes three out of five sets, especially when it goes to that late fourth, early fifth set, is he strong enough? I'm not really saying endurance-wise, but just physically strong enough in that upper body, his arms. Is that maybe the issue why he's struggling in the slams? I'm just throwing it out there. Hopefully he proves us wrong. He's a great, great player, and I think his time is coming. But it's just something I know. Here, here are my thoughts. First and foremost, you do have to be incredibly strong to be... Um, a top tennis player with how physical this game is. This is not the 70s with wooden rackets. Having said that, you, I don't think you have to have big arms to play, to be successful and be able to replicate your shot making over the course of a five-set match. If you look carefully, Novak is extremely skinny in his right. arms. I mean, I, I saw him in person at um, Cincinnati and it was, you know, my buddies who were with me were like, come on, dude, do some push-ups or something. But, and, and actually his team wanted to beef him up because he lost a lot of weight when he didn't play a lot. But I don't necessarily think that physically, the physicality is an issue for Zverev because 
I think he was very tired in that French Open run. Where if you remember, he had to play, I think, three five-set matches before he got to the quarterfinals and was absolutely blown out by team. Now, that's team's sweet spot. Team plays his best tennis. Right, he could have beat Sasha even when Sasha was physically okay. But yeah, Sasha, it was brutal running up to that point. But if, if we throw that match out there, all of Sasha's other losses at the majors have not been... Because he's been tired. He lost to, to Chung in five in Australia. In, um, uh, yes, in Australia. Wimbledon. He lost to Golbis at Wimbledon. I believe it was 6-0 or 6-1 in the final set. And he lost an unex- inexplicable match to Cole Schreiber in the third round of the, of the, of the um, U.S. Open. So I, I think it's a mental thing. We thought that maybe he got over the hump um, in um, in the French, but clearly not. But I think he just needs to respond and not be too happy with this ATP Finals victory because it is the biggest victory of career. Right. We saw how Dimitrov responded. But the thing is, who did D- Dimitrov didn't really beat the top guys to win the ATP Finals. No. He beat There's uh, no, This Gofan. field was way stronger. Yes. He beat Federer. He beat Djokovic. And he utterly deserved to win that tournament. So I'm he looking for in the semis. <laughs> he, I think it's going to be a very big year um, <laughs> for Zverev. I actually thought if Novak hadn't sort of had the explosion that he did in the second half of the season, right. I honestly thought Zverev could have gotten a number one in the world based off his results at the Masters. It would have been sort of a Wozniacki type thing where he would have been number one without winning a slam. Right, but. He's in the driver's seat right now, and I think he's only going to get better. And the addition of Ivan Lendl to the coaching camp is um, invaluable, agreed. in my opinion. We saw what Lendl did for Murray yep. in helping Murray break through in the Grand... Well, Murray was doing well in Grand Slams, but he helped him break through and, and winning. And I think he can do the same for Zverev. All right, let me, let me just ask you this question. Does he get to the semis or better of a slam in 2019? Yes. What about yes. Sirius? No. Nick, we haven't no. even mentioned Nick. Yeah. Nick, no? Okay, no. Sasha, yes, no Nick. No Nick. All right, um, you mentioned briefly Grieger and Andre, the connection. Yes. Now, I, I'm, I love Andre, obviously. You guys who've listened to this know that. Um, Grieger Dimitrov, I'm real high on this guy. He usually plays well at the Australian, and then he kind of, you don't hear about him for a while, as you've correctly stated in the past. I like the connection, but again, it's the whole part-time commitment thing that, that I'm not big on. Um, with coaching, so I, here, I, don't, here, I don't know. Here, let's let's. It's let's, not that Andre let me ask you this question. Him. Let's let me ask you this question. Where is the value added that Andre brings? What is Andre bringing to Grigor that Danny Valverde was not bringing? Obviously, match experience, winning and slams, winning slams. <laughs> but but on a day to day basis, right? I, if that's the what is it the technical aspect? Because I think physically, Grigor is in great shape. Since he worked with yeah, Roger Rashid, that hasn't been an issue for him. The guy's probably the, you know, if we th- throw out some of the outliers like Monfils, for instance, Dimitrov is probably one of the fittest, most athletic, wiry guys on the tour. So I think that's not an issue for him. I think where Andre comes in is that he's had two very, very good coaches. And Brad Gilbert, Darren Cale, Nick Palateri, you built them up, I get you. But mm-hmm. let, let's focus on okay. BG and Darren Cale. Okay. Um, obviously, they were doing something right and instilling something that Andre had not had before. And those guys got Andre to win Grand Slams. Mm -hmm. And it's just another way of thinking, a thought process that he can maybe go in 
with some type of uh, input that he's received from BG in the past or Darren Cahill in the past, instill that in Grigor. Because at the top of the top, man, it's not much. It's not like Grigor. Well, that, the, so much. The thing to is, do. though, the thing is, though, this past year, Grigor physically and technically was not at the top of the no. top. It wasn't like he was losing 6-3 or 6-4 in the third to the big three. He wasn't even getting there. Right. So the question is, can he get back there? And I think he can. Now he's just got to perform and be able to win some of those big matches. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that might just happen with guys like Federer and Nadal getting older. That could be a natural thing. But we both think that he has the talent to earn it. And he's got the support from the coaching staff. And he's got a guy who knows what he's doing. So I think that uh, Rigor Dimitrov could have a big 2019. It's just, it's difficult when you put all your eggs in that basket and he just lets you down. Oh, like I agree. He let us down last you. year. Um, uh, we'll see. Again, the, the whole part-time commitment thing kind of, I don't know. It's like, it's like you're not all in. So we'll see. Um, before I ask you for a match of the year. Mm-hmm. The four slams, they are kind of, and I'm, I, I'm happy that they're kind of changing this up. The fifth set, each one, they're all different, which is kind of crazy. The Australian Open, there's a talk right now of a 10-point super breaker at 6-6 six, six in the fifth. Yeah. Okay. French Open, you still play it out. You have to win by two games. Wimbledon, now they're saying tiebreaker at 12-12. U.S. Open, regular tiebreaker at 6-6. Six, six. Mm-hmm. So all four of those are different. Well, with... You're glad they're all different? You're glad they're not these marathon... I mean, the French still has it. Um, I think the marathon finals, are, they, they got to go away. The sport is getting way too physical. And I remember, I'll, I'll repeat what Kelsey Anderson had said on a podcast that I heard with John Wertheim, is, you know, what is tennis looking at these players doing? Like, is, there, is, is this like a marathon? And if you run a marathon, you're not asked to run a marathon 48 hours later. I mean, what, what he had to do... When he played Isner, and now he has to play the five. He beat Roger in five. He beat, uh, what was that score? Was it 15-13 or something like something that? Something like that. Then he yeah. beats Isner. Was that 26-24 or something yeah. like that? Then he has to play the final against Novak. Um, it's kind of like, what is tennis trying to get at? And I think the I, general I, consensus is, let's condense that fifth set. Yeah. For, first of all, before, before we even talk about the issue of the fifth set, just want to throw out there that there's also been talk of getting rid of three out of five at the slams. It's not very yeah. popular, but there's some there's some there's some corners that are saying it, and and we don't want that. That's uh, not. I don't think there's much yeah. validity to that. But first of all, I have no issue with the decentralization of the rules among the four slams. I think it gives a. You're gonna get that pen out of my face from the camera. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just <laughs> uh, a lot think, going on here. I, I think there's no issue with that because it could, it gives each of the slams. You know, while they have their own sort of different personality and culture based on the type of fans that attend, the type of entertainment options. I think it's nice that if we continue with the status quo, that there is a little bit of a differentiation among them. Having said that, we also have to consider that these slams are also different in the sense that. The surfaces are different and the right. balls that are used right. are different. And I know that it's very popular right now to say that tennis is becoming so actually centralized because the surfaces are slowing down. But uh, producer, producer over here. <laughs> is, cut that is, off. Yeah, producer over here had a little issue. But, uh, <laughs> but we're in a situation where everyone thinks that, oh, everything's getting slower. 
But I think the changes that have been enacted are very appropriate because the U.S. Open 6-6 works for them. Yeah. The crowd gets into it. Everybody stands up when it gets to 6-all. The atmosphere is great. Love it. Wimbledon, I love 12-12 because we're not going to see the Anderson Isner, the Isner Mahout stuff. Right. Nobody wants that. Right. You know, it's it's great for a Twitter follow, but if you're watching the match or if you're a player and it perhaps eliminates you from even playing well in the next match, as, the as Anderson's wife is obviously biased, but as she said, it's not a marathon. I mean, it's... It's a chance a, the next round. That's right. If, which is why, like, for example, we all think about probably the most physical match we ever saw could have been that six-hour Novak... Um, Rafa, Australian Open enough. final in 2012. They had to get chairs to You're yeah, right. But that's the final. It's right. the last tournament. That, I that's proposed the, that. Exactly. You, and you disputed that. Right. I said change it. If you're going to play it out, only do it in the final. I think you said you can't change it midway through the right. tournament. But that's my only way to let these players play out of fifth if it's in the finals. Because then there's no tomorrow and you can rest. That's the only that, way I find it acceptable. That. Back to Wimbledon. 12-12 is fine because just the way the game is played on Wimbledon, the points are shorter, the ball moves quicker. Not a huge, uh, no issues with 12-12. I'm okay with the French still doing win by two because last time I checked, we haven't had a lot of French Open matches that go that far. There's a reason why people get broken a lot more easily on clay, and that hasn't really been an issue at the French Open. If somebody has um, stats out there that would contradict my claim, I would welcome those, but I think we haven't seen anything that's been newsworthy. And the Australian, you know what? why I give them credit for introducing the super tiebreak idea? A, it's unique from the U.S. Open. They probably didn't want to just copy the U.S. Open, Super tiebreak, as we've seen, has been hugely entertaining in labor. labor you know, the experience that we have from super tiebreaks, you know, me as a player, you as a former player, as a coach in, in USC and in high school, that's where we see super tiebreaks. Right. You know, kids choking in, in the 14s, the 16s, 18s, high school. Super tiebreak's been widely successful in Labor Cup in terms of drama. So if they want to play a super tiebreaker instead of a regular tiebreaker at six all at the Australian, let them do it. Right. It's I don't see no issues with it. If if they want to do it, they need to do it. So right. that's that's a thing like that. I agree. And, and by the way, we, you know the Labor Cup was in Chicago. It was an unbelievable event. No matter where you're located, if you listen to this, if Labor Cup when it does come back to the states, it happens every other year. If you're near that state where it's happening. Get tickets and go there. It's worth it. It was unbelievable. All right, guys, if you want to call in, go ahead. You can call my cell. We'll try to pick it up and and put it to the speaker if you want. Talk about anything, your match of the year. Feel free. I'm not giving out my number on air. A lot of you people who are kind of... Do it. Give it out. Give it out. I'm not giving out the number, but you can call. I'm going to ask you right now your match of the year. My match of the year, and I think Jason, uh, if, if I was mistaken, I apologize, but the, my match of the year was um, the Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Wimbledon semifinal. Um, in my view, that was the highest quality of tennis that was played uh, this year. We had the drama of the fact that they played that match over two days. Uh, if you remember, the Wimbledon enacted their... Um, archaic rule of forcing everyone to go home around 11 o'clock at right. night that Friday, um, which I was disappointed with because I was at a uh, work happy hour and enjoying that match at a bar. <laughs> but uh, it was it was nice to wake up the next morning and see that the level of tennis got even higher, yeah. despite the fact that the guys were probably tired right. and had to do the overnight recovery process. And you know, 
storylines aside with Novak, that match, that match was the turning point for Novak. Yeah, season. I didn't think he was back 100%. He, he still... Even after that match, he, I thought he still had a little bit he more. Played, um, he played really well against Nishikori in the quarters in the match before that, but he, I think he dropped a set against Edmund earlier in the tournament. He still wasn't playing at his peak. And he didn't have to play at his peak in the final when he beat Anderson no, for reasons that we, we mentioned. But that match was very high quality in terms of um, just the type of fantastic points that grass court tennis lends itself to. Um, in some ways, even better potentially than some of the tennis that we see on the quicker hard courts of the U.S. Open, Cincinnati, for instance, or the indoor matches. Just the way those guys, the drop shots, the angles... The, the fact that these guys were sliding on grass for balls coming to the net, it was just the quality was very reminiscent of some of the matches that these guys had played in the past. And I think with regard to the two of them specifically, we had seen them play very competitive matches in big hard court matches and big right. clay court Never matches. On Never on grass. The one time they played in a big match on grass, Novak actually retired in the semis of Wimbledon. I want to say, in, uh, I believe 2007 that was. Uh, so we saw we, we, we had a situation where both of them were playing absolutely fantastic. They were fighting each other. They were fighting themselves uh, because Rafa had played a long uh, five setter against Del Potro. Okay, that, was that, that was match. that could have easily been the match of the year as well. Right. So we were very lucky with the quality of the U.S. Open and the Wimbledon that we had this year, and I guess we can only hope for. Uh, to get more of that next year, and, and most importantly for these top players to remain healthy and, and continue playing these big tournaments because it was an absolute treat to watch, and, and that match in particular is what stood out to me. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, we mentioned some great, great matches, and uh, obviously there can be an argument for about 10 or 15 of them this right, year. Right, right. Um, thank you guys for all your comments. This is really fun. Before we wrap up, um, the New York Times had a had a poll, and shout out to my dad for for printing this out. Great catch! Great catch! This is this is what we do when it's a small operation. We need your help, and you guys are are leading the way with it as we uh, continue to grow. So, the New York Times did a poll, and David has not seen these questions or categories. I told him briefly what the poll was about. Don't cheat that. It polled ten active male players in this year's survey, along with twenty five other experts, including coaches analysts and former players. Each participant was asked to pick a top three in each category, and then there was a vote on on what it is. So I'm just going to ask you a question. I'm going to name some. It's all multiple choice. It's like a list of four or five players. Multiple choice. I'll change the orders. So let's start with, I think, one of the biggest matches. Now, there's obviously caveats. When I ask you this question, to play a match for your life, who are you taking? Obviously, these are just current players, by the way. It's not all in history. But when you say, when you ask a guy to play a match for your life, well, is it at nighttime? Is it in daytime? What's the temperature? What kind of surface? You know, is it on clay? So it's, there's none of those caveats. We're just throwing it out okay. there. So play a match for your life. Are you taking Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, or Murray? And when I say for you, it's not really for you. I'm, I'm, you're guessing or your opinion of who you want. I'm going to tell you what the poll said. Okay. So you can take a guess. Okay, I'm going to guess that the poll said that Rafa Nadal is the answer. You are right. Closer than the previous time we did the survey, but Nadal, despite his physical fragility, remains the oldest, uh, remains the clear consensus pick. 
Even at age 32, nobody competes harder for each point. Mm-hmm. All right, strangest stroke. The TFO forehand, the sock forehand, the Gulbis forehand. I don't know if enough people know Gulbis, but I'm going to say his forehand because it's by and large weirder than the other two. Two for two, man. <laughs> two for two. All right, most intimidating shot. Isner first serve. By the way, that kick. It, I think the kick is way worse. The second than serve is more intimidating serve, than yeah, the first. Bounces <laughs> over both of our heads. Yes. So we got the Isner first serve. Djokovic returns. The Nadal forehand, particularly the down the line forehand, or the Del Potro forehand. I think I'm going to go with the Del Potro forehand. God, you're three for three. He has not looked at this before. I have not seen this. He has not seen I'm the co-host for a reason. All right, let's (laughs) stick with, you you talked about the Del Potro forehand. Who has the best forehand? Is it Del Potro? Is it Rafa? Is it Fernando Verdasco? Underrated. Underrated. Or is it Roger Federer? Uh, I think the, the poll said Roger Federer. Did you read that? I did not read God that. Are you, have you ever missed one yet? I have, right my pulse. I have my pulse um, on American Let's do, tennis. we're going about 50 minutes here. Let's do one more and then we're going to wrap up. This was great, guys. Um, best returner, Nadal, Murray, or Djokovic? That's easy, Djokovic. Yeah, I, mean, I say Agassi, but he's not still playing. Okay, guys, um, this was awesome. We had a pretty big crowd. I know we went a long time. Um, Gosh, I can't believe it's the end of another year, 2019. Um, we're getting ready for 2019. I did these based, this is my first full year. I've been doing these segments for like a year and a half, but this was the first year where I went from like January through Labor Cup. Obviously, right. I took a break. Um, I was doing other podcasts. We issued 17 podcasts with guests. I went on site to a few tournaments, had guests in studio, um, went on location to uh, do these in other studios. It's been a blast, Um, it really has, and thanks for you guys, all of you guys for helping this thing grow. Last but not least, thanks to this guy, because you're always welcome. Always Uh, ready, always You're always ready, willing when you're available to to jump on. All the feedback I've gotten, um, all the feedback we've gotten about, you know, your appearances and your knowledge has been um, nothing but, but awesome. So thank you for that. Really appreciate being on. And, uh, you know, 2018 tennis might be ending, but there's a lot of excitement to come in 2019. There is. One good year will lead to the next. I like it. We both wish you all very happy holidays. Very happy new year. Professionally, personally, um, you know, I I hope it runs the whole gamut for all you guys. So thanks for everything. And we will uh, see you again on this type of segment right before Australia. 2019. Let's get it going. Good night.